Hi-ho, this is Jordan, and I'm ready to venture to a galaxy far, far away. This is the Year 2000 Fix Star Wars theme podcast. The original Star Wars trilogy ended in 1983, but I came out of the womb knowing about the Jedi, the Rebel Alliance, the Galactic Empire, the Force, and Midi-Chlorians, Battle Droids, Darth Maul, and the Sith Rule of Two. See, I knew a little about the original films, but I probably knew even more about the critically maligned prequels because they came out into theaters when I was alive. The words, why does everyone hate Jar Jar so much, he's my favorite character, actually left my mouth at one point. When people say Star Wars creator George Lucas pandered to kids with all of the prequels, silly characters, pointless lightsaber fights, and gross use of CGI, I point out that I was that kid being pandered to. To me, the prequels were awesome movies, and seeing them made me want to play with all the Star Wars toys and merchandise known to man. It wasn't until somewhere in my teens that I realized I'd been had. Why didn't I listen to those wiser Star Wars fans who insisted the entire time that the original trilogy was a million times better? I'm joined by my friend Alyssa, who experienced the exact same con from Lucasfilm as a kid, and who has just as much to say about the Star Wars universe as I do. So much, in fact, that I had to cut our conversation into parts. This is part one, where Alyssa and I discuss our exposure to the original Star Wars movies, how as younglings, we were hypnotized by the Star Wars prequel marketing, and how as we got older, we came to loathe episodes one through three, but reaffirmed our love for episodes four through six. Unlike the characters in Star Wars, I have a great feeling about this. I am giving you your year 2000 fix, and let's welcome Alyssa. Okay, I'm here. I'm joined by Alyssa. Alyssa, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I'm ready to use the Force. The Force is with me right now. Me too. I'm so excited to talk Star Wars. Very, very excited. So, what's your earliest Star Wars memory? So, I got sick a lot as a kid, and whenever I was sick, I would stay home from school, and in our living room, we'd like pull out the couch and watch the Star Wars movies. You know, I saw the first three, and they have the most nostalgic pull for me because of that. Like, I can vividly remember watching the third movie and just, like, sweating profusely. I was so anxious for Luke to win. <laughs> like, I, I really took it seriously back then as a kid. Yeah, to prevail over the dark side, use the force. Mm -hmm. But would you sort of agree that for people like us, we were born in the mid-90s, we grow up around the time that the prequels come out, and even though the original films had been out for several decades, it almost just became like some sort of cultural osmosis for us to know what a Death Star was or the phrase, may the force be with you or no, I am your father or what the Rebel Alliance stood for. Absolutely. Like, I don't even remember having like formed those memories. I just know that they're like in there in my subconscious. You mentioned seeing the original movies. Did you ever see like the cartoons that they made, I think in the 80s, like droids or Ewoks? No, I didn't. I mean, I saw the Star Wars Christmas special like years later in high school, but 
Aside from the movies themselves, I didn't consume like a lot of the other media. Holiday special is a tough find given how for the longest time they really tried hard to make sure no one could ever see it again after 1978. Oh yeah, I mean he said that he would go and personally track down every copy and destroy it if he could. Like I think they tried very hard to suppress it, but I found like a horrible bootleg online in high school. And then you remember, now this was just before the 21st century, but 1999, the Phantom Menace comes out. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think you could walk down the street, go into any store, turn on the TV without seeing Darth Maul, Queen Amidala, Jar Jar Binks, Anakin Skywalker in the pod racer wearing that helmet. Yeah, I think 1999, I would have been probably like four years old. So I don't actually remember much about it coming out, but I do remember watching it at home mm -hmm. as I got a little bit older. And I really do remember uh, Clone Wars coming out because I saw it in IMAX. Episode two. Yeah. That was its selling point. This is a Star Wars film. It's going to have even mm -hmm. more computer effects than even the one you saw in 1999. This is mm -hmm. the year 2002. The theaters are going to have to cater to us if they want to show this expected to be profitable movie because we're going to break the barriers of technological norms and show this in IMAX. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's like kind of colored by nostalgia, but I do remember when I saw it in IMAX, the part where there's like a, a chase with Obi-Wan and the guy who's not Boba Fett, it's like his dad. Jango Fett, um, yeah. Jango Fett, yes. The part where Jango Fett and Obi-Wan are flying around and they're shooting like sonic charges at each other, seeing that mm -hmm. in IMAX and hearing it like almost in your chest, it was actually really cool. <laughs> But tell me, what does the scene where Anakin makes the very poignant observation about sand look at Ibex? I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. And it gets everywhere. <laughs> you can visualize every single grain of sand. <laughs> that is very coarse and gets everywhere such cringe but you know at the time I was so young I didn't I didn't even think about how cringy that really was no because as far as you're concerned you're like space guys are shooting at each other and fighting each other with lightsabers oh yeah and like as a little girl Amidala or, or Padme I guess she was so cool to me I mean like I was a big Leia fan and I still think she's better obviously better character but I remember like begging my parents to be Padme for Halloween. Like I had a costume from Lucasfilm, I guess. They were the ones who made it, but like, yeah, dressing up like her. So do you remember, in addition to seeing those movies and theaters, what kind of merchandise you might've had? Yeah, actually I do. I mean, I didn't have any merchandise related to the original trilogy because by the time that I got into it, you know, they'd been out for a long time. So maybe you could have found some merchandise, but not a lot. But then I remember really, really wanting, they had an Amidala doll, like a Barbie basically, at Target in the kids section. Yeah. And wanting that so badly for Christmas <laughs> and I got it in like in true kid fashion I think I played with it for like maybe two days and then never touched it again but at the time it was a big deal yeah the anticipation was better definitely episode two was definitely the movie where I collected the most merchandise like as it was released and that included like there were the lego sets I had oh action figures of r2d2 a making of book I think I had a Django 
that costume. It definitely had a type of gun. So you mentioned the gun that, like, you see him shoot at in IMAX. Uh-huh. Like, I had, like, it, it was kind of like a Nerf gun, except the gun was, like, metal because it was, like, his gun. And I had a toy I was very fond of, the toy of Senator Jar Jar Binks, the exact Senator Jar Jar Binks <laughs> who proposes that the Senate give Chancellor Palpatine emergency powers. He just destroys democracy single-handedly. What a guy. I know. And like, I think that was Lucas deciding like, hey, you you didn't like him in episode one. Well, you thought you hated him then. (laughs) Jar Jar is the key to everything. Um, No, I mean, it's funny, like talking about it. It's bringing up memories of merchandise that I had. Like I had a sticker book. I had some of the little action figures. I remember they made action figures for like literally every character you saw in the background too. Like if you really wanted to collect them all, you would have had to beg your parents for a lot of spending money. Right, and Star Wars is like the go-to example of a movie where it's like, no, don't you get it? The reason there are so many different characters and settings and things that might not necessarily advance the plot is because then they make action figures and costumes and books with pictures in it and stuff that you buy. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I could see someone justifying it like, well, you know, it's a galaxy. There's thousands of species and whatnot. But yeah, lots of characters means lots of merchandise. The point here is that with us being so young interacting with this media, we didn't really have a problem with it, did we? Because kids, they have big imaginations. It's like, okay, you're seeing space, you're seeing aliens, you're seeing people fight each other. And then you have toys so you can relive and elongate that experience, so. Oh, yeah. As a kid, you're not thinking critically about that stuff, about kind of being preyed on almost, in a sense, in terms of, like, things that appeal to you. Right, and then I think by the time episode three came out, we would have been about, like, ten years old. They rate it PG-13, unlike every other Star Wars film, which was PG. And I think even if I didn't have as much merchandise then, with the exception of that Darth Vader voice changer helmet (laughs) that and a lightsaber was the only thing from episode three i collected but i totally fell for the whole oh well this movie is cool because it's the darkest of the three yeah it's dark (laughs) shit goes down the fact that it was rated pg-13 made my mom not let me see it in theaters like she didn't let me or my sister go and see it we actually had to wait for it to come out on video which back then that was a big deal because that took freaking forever yeah that was like six months yeah so we had to wait like six months and then i got to watch it in my house (laughs) with all the lights on that way i didn't get scared but um i remember not actually liking it that much at first and now looking back i'd say if you had to pick one out of the prequels it's probably the best we use those words very cautiously here with like all the knowledge we have now i was the most naive kid ever but even as a 10 year old i did kind of have a whole like okay isn't this dialogue a little goofy the you were a brother to me and this is the (laughs) end for you my master but it's very melodramatic I i went along with everything else And I think because I had only seen the original films once or twice as a six or seven year old, but then I see the prequels 
10 to 20 times because they came out when I was alive, when I could actually go and see them in theaters, when I could just as easily see something like at home. And maybe the appeal was like, oh, well, this is new. This is more recent. And computers, this CG, it's cutting edge. And I laugh saying that just because it's amazing how only a few years later, (laughs) so much of that would become so dated. Yeah, so like obsolete or people don't even like hearing that their movies have a lot of CGI in it anymore. But actually, I was sort of the opposite where like my family, we were the kind of people who if we liked a movie, we would get it on DVD and then we would watch it like over and over and over again until like we just could quote it verbatim. Like it drives mm-hmm. people crazy when my sister and I are together because we talk like just Oh, using... same with my brother, exactly. Yeah, we just like use yeah. movie quotes the whole time. And so the first two of the prequels are like really nostalgic to me like I remember them really well and then the third one I only watched a couple times because it was PG-13 uh-huh yeah exactly and I think you know I just didn't I didn't like it as much I think I was starting to go off of the prequels I guess but I have a vivid memory of quoting a Jar Jar Binks quote in like my fifth grade English class and just getting the weirdest look from the other girls and realizing, oh, fuck, I'm really weird, aren't I? Well, I certainly <laughs> felt some alienation because part of the reason I knew I was under Lucasfilm's spell was the fact that I didn't really have a problem with Jar Jar. I thought like, hey, this guy, he's fun. He looks like a dog rabbit thing and he jumps around and he doesn't have a Booma, but he still wins the battle (laughs) against those droids that are firing at him. um, This is why they say that the prequels were made for kids. I mean, that character appeals to children. (laughs) That's my point here is when Lucas says that Jar Jar, he is key to this, that, oh, Star Wars is just for kids and that's why you have this goofy stuff with Jar Jar and all the other stuff everyone complains about he's talking about people like you and me we were that age we were the people who were hypnotized and yeah four years old <laughs> yeah and it's at an, the it's oldest like ten four-year-olds yeah small children would find that funny. Yeah, so Star Wars Episode 1 has a whole lot of marketing. They totally scale it back for Episode 2, so they have like 85 products released for Episode 1. They make it 50 products for Episode 2 because I guess they kind of feel like, you know, Episode 1, we put too many licenses out. It just led to a (laughs) lot of non-selling products. And I wonder if that just translates to less Jar Jar Binks. Got it? I don't know. I I remember the action figures for him for all three movies. Right. And like I said, I had the episode two version of him that I, I played with. Phantom Menace had the Pepsi cans and the Pizza Hut and Taco Bell ads. Attack of the Clones had Frito-Lay chips and General Mills. And Revenge of the Sith had Darth Vader face off against the Burger King for a promotion. And you know what I mean? That really creepy Burger King that was like in the, in the mid-2000s. Yeah, which is there. <laughs> yes, some nightmare fuel. Yeah, nightmare fuel Burger King. In episode three, they go all the way with marketing, fast food chain snack food, manufacturers, clothes. And then they also, this is the interesting thing, is they use elements from all six films. So you Mm. see a lot of like, say, Kellogg's cereal with Darth Vader and Yoda on it. They knew that their time was up. (laughs) 
on the prequels. Yeah, well, I think what they knew was, okay, episode three, that's going to finally bridge together all these movies. It didn't really do a great job of that, but still, that was the point that it's like, okay, look, this is episodes one through three. This is about Anakin Skywalker. He meets Obi-Wan Kenobi, but he gets seduced to the dark side and becomes Darth Vader. Episode four through six, Darth Vader is a key part of the Galactic Empire, and then Luke Skywalker and his band of rebels fight against him and try to get peace and justice in the galaxy. But that's why they don't even pay attention too much to like the stuff that's actually in episode three of the movie and just put like Darth Vader, here he is. And Darth Vader's in like, what, only 10 minutes at the very end? <laughs> oh, less than 10 minutes. I think he's there for like two minutes at most. Well, actually, so technically speaking, Anakin Skywalker gets branded Darth Vader, I guess. By oh, the... yeah, you're right. You're right. But what does that matter? Like, yeah, you hear Darth Vader. All anyone's going to picture is guy in a big black samurai like cyborg <laughs> costume. Right. You're voice... looking that you're looking for that like iconic imagery. Right. And that's the only reason why they can sell that toy I had, which is the helmet you put on and you press a button and your voice sounds really deep and it breathes. Do you remember how they dragged Chewbacca into this? That, that he was, was terrible. in the third movie yeah. for no reason? Funnily enough, in the year 2005, when episode three came out, my mom's college friend, they adopted a girl from China. And I think where this girl came from was very close to that village where they filmed the scene, Kashiyuk. Really? Or Kashyyyk. I'm sorry, Kashyyyk, where all the Wookiees come from. The only reason they have that scene with all the Wookiees is so they can release a toy called Kashyyyk Fighter Chewbacca from Hasbro. Absolutely. So as we're seeing all this go on, I just want to work in some other fun facts about the marketing. Lego, they pay $300 million to Lucasfilm to make Star Wars Lego sets. And they make $4 billion in profits. Hasbro, they have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars up front to Lucasfilm. And then they have to give a cut of net sales back to Lucasfilm before they even make a profit. Because that's how important it is that Hasbro has the rights to make Star Wars toys. And Star Wars, even in the prequel stage, they were such pop culture dominant movies that they're willing to do whatever Lucasfilm says. And for perspective, whereas like Hasbro pays like $600 million up front for doing all the products for the prequel movies, Disney with Marvel, they only charge a company like Hasbro like $80 million. Really? Yeah. That's how big a deal it is. The movies, they were among the highest grossing films at the domestic and worldwide box office. And with episode two and three, you have companies that estimate that hundreds of millions of dollars are going to be lost because people are going to pretend to be sick in order to see the movie on its opening day. That is insane. Yeah, I, I was looking. $627 million said to be lost from U.S. business staff. That's crazy. Yeah, and I don't know. And when you really look at, wait, this is the movie you wanted to skip work like, and contribute to an economic downturn for? Can you really say it was worth it looking back? <laughs> as far as any press that's being given to Star Wars, it's all done with this fawning Star Wars, the greatest trilogy, the most anticipated of the century. And we know it's a serious problem when episode two and episode three, they come out and days before the official release, they have to like pursue intense legal action to Chinese bootleggers. And then I think there are also Malaysian bootleggers who get these films out on cheap discs and try to hawk them for a few bucks. 
and that's how you get the poor translation of those movies back into English that you get Darth Vader's already very cheesy no at the end of episode three translated <laughs> as do not want do not want no <laughs> to all those people who are already familiar with those memes I'm sorry I only just caught up with the world in that respect when I was doing research for this episode it's still funny Oh, it's so funny. So I think it's upon getting older, realizing what the nature of the beast was that we kind of thought like, hey, maybe we're not in the right for thinking Star Wars episode one through three are good movies. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. I'd say I was probably like in my early teen years when the nostalgia for the prequels started to wear off. You know what I think the final nail in the coffin was? 2008 the movie star wars the clone wars comes out i don't think i really saw it in full but i knew it was a not so aesthetically pleasing looking cg film <laughs> that wasn't even supposed to be a movie it was just three episodes of the star wars clone wars tv show put into a theatrical film and the reviews, they just were god-awful. And I remember one reviewer who was kind of criticizing Lucas's whole Star Wars is just for kids, pointing out that the problem is that unlike a franchise like, say, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, or something where it might technically be for younger audiences, but the books knew how to grow up with the reader or make things timeless for fans of all ages, that Lucas interpreted that as oh, well, I can just do whatever I want and anyone who says otherwise is just not a kid. I think the best kids' movies are the ones that can appeal to both adults and kids, that have adult themes that as you grow older and you go back to those movies because of nostalgia, you start to appreciate them more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, The Wizard of Oz is a family movie, but I'd feel no shame in saying, I love that movie, or that's a great film, or something. Yeah, or like, I, I think a lot about like the Don Bluth animated movies. Yeah. Like American Tale or Secret of Nim. Like, those are all just so good. Like, going back and watching them as an adult, I can appreciate them even more than when I was a kid. Looking back, those movies, actually, they challenged me as a kid. They, they scared me sometimes even, but I think they helped me grow. This movie, or these trilogies, did not do that. We realized what we were missing in our lives was the original Star Wars trilogy. We owed it more love. I was probably a tween, like 12, 13, 14 years old when I really decided that, no, these are better. Like, I don't really want to watch the, the prequels. I just want to focus on these. If I'm going to watch Star Wars, these are going to be the ones that I put on and really remember. I think I must have been the same age because like you, it wasn't that I hadn't seen the movies before. It just like, it didn't mean the same thing to me. I think the biggest difference I found when watching the Star Wars prequels where it's like, okay, you get muddled stories, unlikable characters, and so much boring space politics. Oh, like the, so the much Senate space rooms. Oh my gosh. Will you defer your motion to allow a commission to explore the validity of your accusations? I will not defer. I've come before you to resolve this attack on our sovereignty now. You know, looking back, like rewatching the prequels again, I was sitting there thinking, I don't even remember any of this happening. Like when I was a kid, I must have just turned my brain off for like half of the movie and just, I don't know, zoned out into space. Cause I didn't remember most of those political talks. 
and space is a good word because the key difference between that being the scene of the prequels, the first thing you see when you watch the originals is the big empire ship. It's going to destroy the rebels. The rebels are working hard. They have to find a way to defeat the evil empire. You really are invested in Luke Skywalker who doesn't want to be a farm boy. He dreams of something more. He just doesn't know what. And you meet these really cool looking characters who have personalities, who have a good sense of humor, who add things to the story. And you just keep wanting to know what happens next. Are they going to win? Will they destroy the Death Star? Can Luke Skywalker redeem his father who in a very shocking twist we find out is Darth Vader? They don't waste a single moment. And yeah, I mean, Return of the Jedi is of questionable quality, but it's at least closer to the tone of the first two movies. The original Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back than it was of the prequels. And I think some of it boils down to like the fact that people our age, we're so used to having advertisers and people who write movies, produce movies, other media catering towards us, that we really appreciate authenticity and originality in films. Yeah. And that's why the original trilogy means so much to me because sure, a lot of it was lifted from the adventure films that Lucas watched as a kid, mm -hmm. but it was told in such a new, different, and exciting way that that just comes through the screen. It feels new and fresh even watching it 20 years later. I think we were kind of spoiled because by the time the prequels came out, I'm impressed by, oh, Yoda, he's actually a computer character now and he does backflips <laughs> and every movie has cool special effects now what's it to me we didn't have the experience of being in the 70s or 80s going into the theater knowing you're about to see a science fiction film and instead of seeing like the laughably dated stuff where you see the strings on the spaceship <laughs> model or you can tell that the alien is just a cheap rubber mask and I think what really cemented my love for the original films was like finding out all the behind the scenes details George Lucas and his team had to literally invent technology like the Dijkstra yeah. flex camera which is this motion controlled camera the way they used models even the opening crawl was its own practical effect where they found a way to realistically roll up the paper like a scroll so you could read the text it's just incredible yeah and that to me was more impressive than oh 500 people got together on a computer and I remember seeing in episode 3 some making of detail where like the lava scene Obi-Wan and Anakin are fighting where they point out that that's like a few minute sequence this is how many hundreds of people were behind it this is how mm -hmm. much it likely cost and this is the effort that goes into it's not as simple as like CG equals bad permanently anyone who uses CG should be right. banned from making movies but there is something that gets lost when you rely too much on computers versus when you can just make it look like no you're really there right i think the cg unfortunately just makes it look so sterile we were so young that when we watched the original trilogy we didn't know what we were going to see when we first experienced it everything was new and fresh and exciting because we were so young and hadn't been exposed to a lot of that type of media yet we kind of got to experience the same thing that people did in the theaters we had to admit to all the boomer and gen x cinephiles who were telling <laughs> us all this time no these movies aren't star wars they suck this jar jar guy gets on my nerves we had to be like 
hey, you're right. You guys, you knew what you were talking about. All these original movies you told us to look to instead, I wish I had embraced them wholeheartedly instead of acting like, eh, that's passe. The prequels, that's where it's at. <laughs> well, actually, I reached out to my dad about this because I wanted his take on it because, you know, he would be considered a boomer. <laughs> right, and he had to probably take you to these movies, right? Episode. Oh, yeah, where, but the like... thing was, like, my memory is of him being equally as excited and enjoying them just as much as I did. So I reached out to him for his perspective and he told me that looking back, he realizes that people his age, his demographic, were so anxious for like new material that they were kind of willing to overlook how like predictable and in his words insipid the prequels were. But now he's like, oh yeah, they're, they're horrible. They're not good. <laughs> I don't want to watch yeah. that. But at the time, so desperate for new content because it had been so long that he kind of just took it on board. <laughs> I'm sure if I were to ask my dad about that, he might have given me a similar answer because he liked the original Star Wars. He's like, yeah, I kind of like that one better. But he saw episode three. He was intrigued and he likes saying, oh, okay, and that's where Luke and Leia come from. But I can't really believe that he would say, I totally prefer that over whatever nostalgia <laughs> he had going into the original. Yeah, no, in his heart of hearts, he knew what was better. <laughs> he needed to search his feelings. He knew them to be true. <laughs> Yes, exactly. My junior year in college, a professor who I was very fond of, he would bring in all these cool people to lecture us on what it's like to do reviews for different types of mediums. So when we had to do a film review, he brought in my favorite film critic, Mick LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle. And I was able to transcribe this whole long conversation he had with my class. I just would like to read this exchange. I said, I could be remembering this incorrectly, but I know that the San Francisco Chronicle date book, that's like the special edition they put out with the Sunday newspaper, that they did this whole special section on Star Wars in past reviews. And the guy's like, yeah, 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 like they did. And so then I said, I hope I'm correct in this, but you were the only critic who saw The Phantom Menace and saw it for the disgrace it was back in 1999. <laughs> and so the guy, Mick, he says, yeah, and the class laughs and he says, I did. I was the only one, meaning like he was the only critic who gave it that kind of review. There were three reviews from the Chronicle. One was a review of the technical side of the movie that was good. Another said there was a delightful character named Jar Jar Bings and the class no. laughed again. And then um, he kind of speaks sarcastically. He's like, which was really good. Everyone loves Jar Jar Bings. In all fairness, the reviews of his peers, they came out the day of the movie's release and mine was a dvd review that came out a year later so i was aware of the abomination that jar jar binks was jar jar binks is hated as much as any real person it's really funny it's really weird you have an actual thing that isn't real that people hate we're gonna end part one here but stay tuned for part two where Alyssa and i regroup and discuss more about the star wars prequels george lucas and the original trilogy thank you for listening